Welcome to the Bioneers, revolution from the heart of nature. If your child's life becomes threatened of being killed, do you stop to ask a politician if it's legal to save your child's life? Do you look to anyone else in that moment of crisis and stop and go, oh, I don't know if I can do this or not? No. Something instinctual inside of you that touches you at the core of who we are reaches out and compels one to act. It's all alive. It's all connected. It's all intelligent. It's all relatives. Scientists tell us that concern with the environment will no longer be one of many single issues in the next century. It will move to the center of the stage. It will become the context of everything, of our lives, our businesses, our politics. We are, in fact, moving from the information age to the age of biology. In this series, The Bioneers, Revolution from the Heart of Nature, we salute the pioneers, the biological pioneers who are working with nature to heal nature, reducing the human footprint, honoring native wisdom, and restoring the earth by changing the world. A mother and fisherwoman from the Texas Gulf Coast, a mother and nurse from West Virginia, and a young woman brought to tears in the redwoods of Northern California. These ordinary women each responded to a call. Extraordinary acts of heroism resulted. In this program, we honor Diane Wilson, Terry Swearingen, Julia Butterfly Hill, and all the women who have followed their hearts into heroic work for the earth. Join us for the next half hour as we explore the daughters of Thoreau, not too well behaved. My name is Michael Toms, I'll be your host. Welcome to the Bioneers, revolution from the heart of nature. What I've been working on in my community is what's considered to be one of the world's largest commercial hazardous waste incinerators. Terry Swearingen is a registered nurse and a mom from West Virginia. Nearly 20 years ago, when she was pregnant with her daughter, Terry took it upon herself as a concerned citizen to wage an extended battle against the sighting and operation of the infamous WTI incinerator in East Liverpool, Ohio. This hazardous waste plant, which is now the nation's largest, burns over 60,000 pounds of toxic, cancer-causing chemicals a year, including mercury, dioxin, and lead. This incinerator, unbelievably, has been built 1,100 feet away from an elementary school where 400 children attend classes in a low-income community. Terry Swearingen spoke with producer Neil Harvey. Lead is the, what really drew me into this case. I was, uh, I'm a registered nurse. I've seen the effects of lead in children. I was working in a doctor's office, and a patient came in, and they said, you know, they have plans to build this hazardous waste incinerator right in our community. And uh, they said that, that the government would allow this facility to emit 4.7 tons of lead into the air annually. Hmm. I thought that couldn't possibly be right. That As much as we know about the toxicity of lead, that really there is no threshold, meaning there is no safe level of exposure. No safe How, minimum dose. No, no safe minimum dose. Uh, whatever the dose is exerts a comparable ill effect. And as most people are aware, it's especially... Uh, dangerous to the developing brains and nervous system of children. So I, I'm, you know, I, I think that this can't possibly be right. But then when I started investigating, I found out that was really 
the correct number that the government was going to allow to be released. How much was that for? 4.7 tons. The numbers come down now, but it doesn't matter because um, lead, as all of the toxic heavy metals, accumulate in the environment. You can't put lead or mercury or, or any of the heavy metals into an incinerator and destroy them. You put it into an incinerator and it's burned and it's goes out the stack in a form that is much more easy to breathe and get deep into the lungs and system. It gets into the food chain. This stuff never breaks down. So it it accumulates in the environment. Though she has not been successful in her efforts to shut the East Liverpool incinerator down yet, the campaign against WTI has affected other incinerator projects, stopping some and reducing the levels of emissions from others. Persistence, creativity, and irreverent humor like the Weenie on Waste campaign against Ohio Governor Voinovich have captured imaginations and saved lives. Terry Swearingen's work on behalf of disenfranchised communities has been reported internationally, and in 1997 she was awarded the prestigious Goldman Prize for environmental activism. She has tracked the tendency to locate toxic waste incinerators in poor communities and in communities of color. Terry is a daughter of Thoreau because she has been willing to put her life on the line in the struggle for environmental justice for these communities and for another community that appears to be target for exploitation, children. I look at the sighting of WTI, and I, I don't think it was any accident. Um, there have been reports done as to where industry could locate with the least resistance to these noxious facilities. One was done here in the state of California, the Sorrell study mm. in 1984, What they looked at was um, actually where they identified communities that would present the least resistance, and they found that, you know, of course, black communities, minority communities, communities of low income, poverty, and also Catholic communities, which is interesting. I I didn't understand that one, but um, they said it was because Catholics don't question authority. But this was in 1984, and really, if you look at where these facilities are located throughout the country— you didn't even need a study. I mean, you, you can see that this is where they're located. And that's, East Liverpool is a typical Sorellian community. But what is, what really gets me angry is that, you know, before they said people of color, poverty, and now they went beyond that. And they're saying, we'll now dump on this voiceless group of people who have no say, the children. They don't get to decide. And yet this is going to affect their future. In, in the community, wait a second. It's okay. What is really frustrating is that the ans- we already have the answers. We have the solutions, but they're not being implemented. And I think, again, it goes back to that corporate power, the corporate control. So that's really upsetting to me is that, you know, kids are being poisoned and our earth is being destroyed because of greed. I think in so many of these battles that I have been involved with where you know I go to grassroots community, you see the same things over and over. The people have no voice. And it's amazing to me that people will stand up and put in so much time, energy, effort. They're just so persistent and they have so much passion and they care so much. They're willing to do anything to protect their children, their families, their communities. They have no other axe to grind. They're, they're not in this for the profit. And, and you look at the other side, and that's all they're in it for is the profit. So I think this is a story 
throughout communities all over the country, and I hear the same things over and over, a story of love versus greed. We don't have to do, we don't have to do this. Why are we doing this? Terry Swearingen. I want to tell you a little story about uh, Thoreau that Thoreau had just did one of his little illegal actions and he was sitting in the jail cell when his good friend Waldo Emerson came to the jail cell and said, Thoreau, what are you doing inside that jail cell? And Thoreau said, Waldo, what are you doing out there? <laughs> and that's what I just come to tell. Diane Wilson, mother of five and the fourth generation of her family to fish on the Texas Gulf Coast. She is a leader in the efforts to launch zero discharge as a movement within the United States and abroad. Diane has used every tool and strategy at her disposal in order to stop the polluting of her beloved Lavaca Bay by industry giants Formosa Plastics, DuPont, and Alcoa Aluminum. After conventional efforts to stop illegal dumping failed, she went on multiple hunger fasts and finally decided to sink her shrimp boat, her only source of livelihood, on a Formosa discharge pipe. To that point, Formosa had denied the existence of illegal discharge pipes. Diane was ready to make her boat a monument to their lies. The middle of the night sinking was stopped at the last minute by the Coast Guard in a gale. But the story rallied fishermen and Diane won a zero-discharge agreement from Formosa. She has received numerous awards from both the environmental and fishing communities. Diane Wilson with Neil Harvey. I went through the rules. I went. I did my petitions, and I did my uh, uh, contact in the congressman. And matter of fact, I might say that there was not a single solitary politician that said the first thing about protecting the ecosystem or protecting the Gulf down there. The, I mean, the idea to do an action like that, to actually, right. I mean, to, to sink your boat, which That's is right. your livelihood. That's right. And to do it, and you ended up out there in the middle of the night in a storm. That's right. I mean, that that is dangerous. Uh-huh. I mean, you know, you could have drowned. You could have... That's mean, right. I didn't sorts. swim either. Yeah. <laughs> Misbehaving. Not, not too well behaved. Yes, that's right. That's a quote from uh, Thoreau, matter of fact. Is that right? Yeah, he said, uh, I, I, I found it. In, matter of fact, it was... Who's the fellow did the Monkey Wrench Gang? Abby. Abby. He had it as a quote in his book, and he said that Thoreau on his deathbed said the only thing he regretted was that he was too well behaved. And I thought that was really, really something. So I always, always like to say that. Yeah. Yeah. So, and I do. I think we're too well behaved. I think we're too proper. We're too, you know, we, we don't want to make a fuss. You know, and, and most people, they think when you, uh, that if you write a letter or if you sign your name on a petition or if you go out there and pick up uh, some trash that, you know, that, that that's good enough. But, but the thing of it is, it isn't, and it requires a lot more out of us. And uh, matter of fact, I believe is like, if you're not in trouble, I doubt your sincerity. And that's what it boils down to. Because it's, it's not like we're just talking about, oh, whether we uh, pick up flyers today or whether we go to the store and do this or that. It matters about our planet and about our kids' health, and it matters about our, our future existence. And it's 
there's some there's some big uh, big choices out there. Diane Wilson. When we speak of Shiro's giving their lives to protect and restore the beauty of the earth, Julia Butterfly Hill readily comes to mind. In her early 20s, Julia left behind all that went before and climbed to the top of a thousand-year-old redwood tree to save its life. The story of the two years she spent 180 feet off the ground in the arms of Luna, the name she gave the tree, to protest the logging of old-growth forests in the Pacific Northwest continues to be told around the world. Co-founder of the Circle of Life Foundation, her inspired activism seems to have only begun. The author of One Makes the Difference and The Legacy of Luna, Julia Butterfly Hill, spoke at a recent Bioneers conference. When I entered the ancient redwoods for the first time, I saw a beauty that touched a part of myself that money's never touched. I saw a power that touched me like traveling from church to church to church with my preacher father, never touched. I saw a spirituality that reached inside of myself and made an immediate connection between myself and the creator, and it changed me forever. And then a few weeks later, I saw the destruction that ripped my heart out and threw it on the ground and stomped on it and destroyed the naivety that I had been living in my whole life for the rest of my time. I saw this destruction, and I said, oh, my God. God, how can we be allowing this to happen in our country? How can we have allowed that 97% of the ancient redwoods are gone? Are gone for good. We can't grow back 2,000-year-old trees in the forest, the million-year-old forest that they're a part of. How can we be allowing them to take seven-foot chainsaws into the forest and mow these ancient treasures into the ground? and then follow it up by lighting the clear cut on fire with diesel fuel or with napalm. Lighting the field on fire, destroying everything, including the microorganisms in the ground. And then following it up by spraying 40 gallons of diesel fuel per acre to carry herbicide to get rid of unwanted trees and weeds so that they can grow a tree farm. And when I found this out, something reached inside of me and said, Julia, you must act. It was not a calling I could sit and chew on and decide upon. It was something that ripped my gut out and said, okay, Julia, you're coming. And I said, okay, I'm coming. It wasn't really an option. I tell people about the example of if you have a child, if your child's life becomes threatened of being killed, do you stop to ask a politician if it's legal to save your child's life? Do you stop to ask a scientist if it's scientifically possible for you as one person to stand up and save your child's life? Do you stop to ask a teacher exactly how do I go about saving my child's life? Do you look to anyone else in that moment of crisis and stop and go, I don't know if I can do this or not? No. Something instinctual inside of you that touches you at the core of humanity, at the core of who we are, reaches out and compels one to act. And that's what happened for me. I sat there and I said, I have to do something about this. I know that Gandhi said it. I know that many have said it. We must be the change we wish to see in the world. It's more than a philosophy or a theology. It is literally, and how can we point at what's wrong in the world if we're not living what is right? When I was sitting in that tree and looking down at the clear cuts, sitting through weeks of watching helicopters swarm around me, 
lighting the clear cuts on fire with napalm and having to breathe it through a wet cloth for two weeks until I was so weak I couldn't even sit up. Looking at the Pacific lumber mill that takes these ancient forests and turns them into lumber. Looking at all of these things and getting angry and going, how dare they, how dare they, how dare they? And then I had to stop and go, okay, where do I fit into this equation? There are many, many who are feeling compelled to take the front line, putting your life on the line kind of actions. And every day there are more and more because they're waking up and saying, I'm not going to head off this cliff without a fight. I'm not going to head off this cliff without trying everything I can do to turn this runaway vehicle around. But the reality is our strength on the front lines in the last line of defense is only as good as all of you who are holding that line behind us. And if we are not working on this together to live the solutions every moment of every day, it's the little chinks in the dam that allow that water to come plowing us over before too long. We have to shift the way that we look at what does direct action mean. And another thing that's absolutely vital for me in direct action, and I believe it's absolutely direct action, is our words. Our words are so extremely powerful, just as our thoughts. Our words and our thoughts shape the reality that we all share today. There is no such thing as a non-action. It's not possible. Even if I were to sit here and do nothing for a month, it still is not a non-action. Because by my not doing anything, I'm shaping the way the world is becoming. Everything we do and say, our inactions and even our thoughts change the world. <laughs> And it is a change that will last forever. Sometimes our human attachment wants automatic change. You can bet after like six months in the tree, I was going, okay, can we save this area already? <laughs> we have that desire to have that automatic attachment to our outcome. And there are people who we get frustrated and we get overwhelmed because we see so much going on in the world that we cannot change. And we go, what am I going to do? How can I change this? How can, how can I keep caring in a world like this? And I love to use the example of these women who blessed me and honored me and blessed and honored the world with this project, and they're called the Boise Peace Quilt Project. And they're a group of wonderful women. It was started by women who were active in the anti-Vietnam War movement, ended up having children, raising a family, couldn't be out on the front lines anymore, and so they started making quilts. And what they do is they pick an, an action or a person that represents things that they care about in their world, and they quilt a picture of it. And their motto is, stitch by stitch, the difference is in the doing. The difference is in the doing. Every action, every word, every thought is the difference. How do we decide to change the world? How do we decide to live the kind of world that we want to live in? Julia Butterfly Hill. When we return, more from Diane Wilson, Terry Swearingen and Julia Butterfly Hill. We're exploring the daughters of Thoreau, not too well behaved. My name is Michael Toms. You're listening to The Bioneers, revolution from the heart of nature. As Julia Butterfly Hill asks, how do we change the world to live the kind of world we want to live in? To live in the kind of world they want to live in, 
Julia Butterfly-Hill, Diane Wilson, and Terry Swearingen have been willing to give their lives. They each stress that it may not be everyone's calling to engage in actions of civil disobedience. And there are challenges specific to women activists. Diane Wilson. Don't go into this thinking that you are going to get patted on the shoulder and told you're doing a good job. More than likely, you are going to be getting phone calls. You're going to be getting little visits. You're going to get a husband that's furious with you. You're going to get kids that are pissed off at you. Matter of fact, I had a teenage daughter uh, while I was doing my fight. I had five kids, and I had them all the way from three years old all the way up to about 12 years old. And, and I've been in this for about 13 years, battling this, these same fights. And I know when I had a a teenage daughter that was going through her little teenage years and when she really wanted to get back at me because like I said I'd been from fighting for, for most of her so so long and whenever she really wanted to get back at me she just said well I'm gonna get a job with Formosa that's what I'm gonna do <laughs> so I guarantee you you, you will find some very hard times. And I know one time I, I had been on a hunger strike for 30 days, and my ex-husband now refused to bring the children anywhere around me. So not only do you have this sense of trying to do an issue and being focused on it and being dedicated, but you also have this thing, especially if you're a woman, of, of, about your children, and I know when I was doing a, I was doing a hunger strike in Texas, and I was going to Dallas for a while, and I was down in Austin for a while, and we was talking to the governor, and we was talking to uh, some of the state agencies, and I know what the Texas Chemical Council were said. They were saying like, well, who's taking care of her children? And it was like I got labeled as a bad mother. So the, and, and matter of fact, even when I came home to Seadrift, I had my own sister-in-law tell me. Well, you just need to be given Mother of the Year Award, you know, because they, they, there is a double standard when it comes to women activists and men activists out there. And I used to say, that's a fact. That's just a little hard truth. We all, what the thing is, all of us women activists, we need wives is what we need. Yeah. Again, Terry Swearingen. You know, it, it is tough. It's a, it's a it's an uphill battle, and sometimes it can be really stressful. And you have to put a lot of energy and effort into it. But on the other hand, the rewards are so great because you meet the best people in the world. I mean, I really think that I've met the cream of the crop, and I'm humbled to be among them. Even these people with such visionary thinking that really they're the ones that are going to save the planet. And it's just so interesting. I mean, turn off your television and stop living your life through somebody else and live it because it's so exciting. Live the life of an activist. Oh, sure. I mean, I, Anita Roddick was saying uh, something about um, beauty creams and things, you know, and, and she said it's a load of crap that, you know, <laughs> these beauty creams. I think being an activist keeps you young. Terry Swearingen, Diane Wilson, Julia Butterfly-Hill. What makes these women so special? A nurse from the Midwest, a fisherwoman from the Gulf Coast, a girl just starting her life as a woman. In them, we see the fierce feminine, the unstoppable determination of mothers, perhaps most importantly, 
They listen to their hearts. I know there are people that would probably, you know, look up to some of these people who have done such tremendous work and made such positive changes. And I can imagine them saying, but I'm not that smart. I, I don't have the education. I don't have the background. I don't have what it takes to do this. But I can tell you that I am the perfect example. I didn't know anything before I got involved. If anybody could look at me and say, if she can do it, then I can do it. Anybody can pick an issue, and if you feel that this is an issue that you can fight for, you do not have to start out with a big plan. You don't have to start out with a lot of money. All you got to do is go call a meeting, and it will start. I guarantee you it will start. Today is the day to challenge our perceptions and the status quo, to speak truth into the darkness of ignorance, to hold ourselves accountable for the impact of our choice. Today is the day to be willing to die for all that we believe in, not because we should live in a world that feeds upon martyrs, but because that then we truly understand how to live. Today is the day to remind us that every moment counts. Our lasting legacy is the life that we leave behind. Thank you. The Daughters of Thoreau, not too well behaved. To find out more about the work and writings of Terry Swearingen, Diane Wilson, Julia Butterfly Hill, and all of the participants in this series, the annual Bioneers Conference, and membership information, call the Collective Heritage Institute toll-free at 1-877-246-6337. That's 1-877-BIONEER. Or visit the Bioneers website at bioneers.org. To read more in-depth tales of other Bioneers, Check out the book and resource guide, The Bioneers, A Declaration of Interdependence by Kenny Osabel, available through The Bioneers or at your local bookstore. To order a cassette tape of this program using your credit card, call 1-800-388-8273. That's 1-800-388-TAPE. And please specify the program number. To receive a complimentary copy of the New Dimensions newsletter, please write to New Dimensions Radio. Post Office Box 569, Ukiah, that's U-K-I-A-H, California, 95482. You can find us on the web at newdimensions.org. The Bioneers, Revolution from the Heart of Nature, is a production of New Dimensions Radio. Distribution by the New Dimensions Broadcasting Network. Executive Producer, Michael Toms. Producer, Neil Harvey. Managing Producer, Justine Willis-Toms. Recording Engineer and Mastering, Catherine Vibert. Assistant to the executive producer, Beck Kagiyama. Our theme music is taken from the album Journey Between by Baka Beyond and used by permission of Hannibal Records, a Ryko disc label. Portions of the script for this program were drawn from the work of Kenny Osabel. The opinions expressed in the Bioneers radio series are those of the commentators and not necessarily those of the funders, the Collective Heritage Institute, or New Dimensions Radio. My name is Michael Toms. On behalf of everyone at the New Dimensions Broadcasting Network, I'm wishing you well. This is program number 2924.